tall, my heavy hitters, the lockdown defenders. Welcome to the 30 minute lockdown episode 26. We are back in the building, man, each and every Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and all your power platforms you get your podcast from. I'm your host, Coach Defense, back at you with another video for the Thursday show, the 30 minute lockdown, where we give you news and views of the NBA and NFL sports world in 30 minutes or less. I'd like to welcome y'all back to another epic episode of the 30 minute lockdown, man. And I want to first start off by thanking everybody. That's been supporting the channel heavy, and we have gotten a lot of support over the last several weeks now. I'm here to tell you, a lot of people struggle, and a lot of people take breaks and do things over the summer, and they don't grow, typically. You know, a lot of times, you know, dealing with NBA and dealing with NFL, we've done, people kind of, you know, have little lulls in their, in their content and in their support. But I'm here to tell you that my support has grown. So now I appreciate everybody that has been like, commenting, subscribing, and doing everything you've been doing in this last several weeks, especially on this show. This particular show has broken all kinds of records on the podcast network, man. I'm here to tell you. All kinds of records. I mean, we've up to thousands of viewerships on each video that we've done in our eight-week series of the NFL preseason rundown. Great, 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 great series, man. I definitely appreciate everybody has been doing it. We had an all-time high in subscriptions. So thank you for everybody has been doing that. If you haven't done it so already, please subscribe. It's free. Appreciate everybody's support, man. And um, I'm here to do another giveaway. We had another milestone. Uh, so I'm going to do another jersey giveaway. Uh, NBA or NFL, your choice, whoever wins. Uh, your favorite player, your favorite team, whoever jersey you want to do, $150 or less in the NBA or NFL shop. And we'll get that done for you. We'll get that sent out for you free of charge, man. Just as an extra added bonus to thank you for everybody that's been supporting this channel up to this point, man. But I'm not going to run on to it too much about it. I'm going to publicize it on social media. So follow me on Twitter or whatever you want to call it at this point at Lockdown Defense. And on Instagram, Lockdown Defense Sports. Uh, follow me on those platforms and I'll get the information out to you regardless of the giveaway is concerned. So check me out there and you'll find out how you can enter and win. But man, let's talk about this week. This week is going to be another good show. We're getting back some more, you know, content uh, and in and I guess you can say newsworthy uh, things we're going to talk about this week. And I'm going to forward back, or I guess you can say rewind to the running back talk. Um, it's been a contentious talk, and it's been a long-standing talk for a while about what running backs are going through. <laughs> In a large part, uh, we're going to talk about exactly what uh, their the status is and what they've been going through, and we'll hopefully, you know, try to garner some solutions to this particular narrative that is being painted right now and we're going to talk about uh everybody that's in the top tier that's been going through uh trials and tribulations when it comes to the organization we want to talk about exactly what they've been going through uh what my take on it and now uh, hopefully we can provide some solutions that could honestly and truly uh help and support the running backs to getting back to their uh you know pay status and getting back to their uh value being the level it needs to be so um, we're going to start off, you know, talking about the most glaring moment in in, in franchise right now in in the league about Jonathan Taylor, and we'll get into a few other things. But let's get into it, man. Let's talk about how we feel about this particular topic. And um, like I said, we're going to start with uh, Jonathan Taylor. Um, man, oh man, I'm going to try to be political, but I've never been really good at that. So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> but I guarantee you that it's going to be something you remember, regardless of how you uh, uh, take my content, take my takeaway from this situation. So let's start here. Jonathan Taylor is on the is one of the is the, is the latest top tier running back to go through. Uh, uh, I guess you can say a horrible negotiation period with the, with his organization and looking to get a new contract. Uh, <laughs> Jim Irsay who is the owner of the Colts, has come out and said uh, quite a few things 
that are not favorable uh, for Jonathan Taylor's future. Uh, and, you know, we can break down the whole entire timeline, you know, from top to bottom, but I'm going to try to just give you the highlights and, and tell you exactly where we're at and where it stands. So Jonathan Taylor, uh, unlike uh, Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobson, for instance, were, were is in a situation where he's on his last year of his deal. He's a second round pick. He's not a first. He's a second round pick. So he's at, at the end of his four year deal. Everybody in the league is drafted. It's a four year deal. He's at he's at the end of that. He's on his last year of his deal. And uh, he is, you know, by all accounts, I mean, you, I don't think you can argue that he's a top five running back in this league. Very productive and been the heart and soul of this particular team and in, in the carousel of quarterbacking they've had in the past three or four years. This, he's been there, right? I feel like he's had a different starting quarterback every year that he started uh, a running back for them. You know, not a, not a very good uh, situation that you put him in, but he's still been highly productive. You know, let's just be real about it. So Jim Mercy came out and said, uh, you know, I, I'm going to read a tweet. I, I, I'm, I'm going to give it legs again. I gave it legs on Tuesday, but I'm going to give it legs again. NFL running back situation, we negotiated CBA that, that took years of effort and hard work and compromise in good faith on both sides. To say that a specific, specific player category wants another negotiation after the fact is inappropriate. Some agents are selling on bad faith. To which John the Taylor's agents <laughs> retweeted and responded and said, bad faith is not paying your top if it's a player, which he's absolutely right on. So, uh, Ian Rappaport tweeted that with Saquon Barkley's deal locked in, all eyes turned to another talent in the back, Jonathan Taylor, who is yet to show up in Indy. He was visibly frustrated with the situation of the running backs on the Zoom call. It's clearly he wants a proper conversation, a situation to monitor. So, uh, that was prior to uh, we getting into uh, this past weekend. So, uh, <laughs> to say the least, the, that this particular situation took a turn. And a turn for, you know, for which a lot of people can call the worst. It wasn't the best. So they honestly, truly uh, tried, 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 tried. And we'll give you a full timeline on this particular situation. Get my head out of the way. Uh, so they, you know, got into a really, I, I want to say, contentious back and forth. You know, according to what Ursay said and what his agent said and and things of that nature. So Jonathan Taylor and uh, after Ursay made those bad faith comments, his agent responded. Uh, again, Arisay said that the team has offered and doesn't plan to offer uh, Jonathan Taylor an extension at this moment. Then he invites Jonathan Taylor on a private bus where they had a meeting, quote-unquote meeting. Not long after the meeting, Jonathan Taylor's uh, trade request becomes public. Arisay reaffirms that, that, that they won't offer him, in, him an extension. And then Arisay goes on to say, if I die tonight and Jonathan Taylor's up the late, no one will miss us. So Coast uh, now considering placing Jonathan Taylor on a on non-football injury list, which could forfeit his salary. What comes next? <laughs> what comes next in, in, in actual Colts news that their backup running back gets hurt, broke his, broke his arm, he's going to be out six weeks. So at least to the start of the season, maybe a little longer than that, he's going to be out and not practicing with the team when he just got there. So what do you glean from the situation if you're, if you're, if you're an outsider? Or if you're Jonathan Taylor for that matter? I, you know, if anybody's in a situation where you work a regular job, you're an athlete or a commentator or whoever you are in, in life, right? If you're at the end of your deal and you have no security going forward and you don't uh, hear anything in the realm of them extending you, that makes me feel like you don't necessarily value me or keep, want to keep me around. When, again, I've been your top and most productive offensive weapon in the last three years, including injury. Including injury. And we'll get to that in a minute. So you get you get into the idea of the fact that 
you basically say that uh, I don't, I'm, I don't, I know you're on the last year of your deal. I don't plan to offer you an extension right now. You need to play on your deal, and that's just where I'm at. I'm, I don't want to, you know, I'm not trading you. I'm not, I'm not offering you an extension. That tells me, and, and unequivocally, that you don't value me, that you don't plan on having me around, or you just plan to play the franchise tag game with me, which gives me no security, no, uh, uh, you know, I guess you could say, warm and fuzzy when it comes down to my future. When I have a limited window of opportunity to play and earn money in this league as a running back. So with his comments, the underhanded designations, you know, and it gives me, quite honestly, it gives me a lot of, you know, boss versus hired hand mentality when it comes to Ursay. It really does. It really does. And and I don't like it. I really don't like it. Ursay's uh, mentality when it comes down to the situation, how he's treated players. I mean, you know, it's a lot of things have gone haywire in the coach organization in the last, in the last three to four years, especially like since Andrew Luck retired, like things have been even before that, but you know, but again, since he's retired, it's been the one shit show after another. I'm just going to say it. there's been one shit show after another. It really has, you know, between the quarterback, you know, the, the weapons, the carousel of coaches and culminating in coaches, you hiring Jeff Saturday, who had no coaching experience at all to coach your team last year. When you fired you, the, the the incumbent coach Frank Wright, just just a lot of weird and and peculiar behavior. It really is. So you would say this isn't far fetched for the Jim Mercy to be making these outlandish comments, right? But yet again, you also have to look at it from a perspective that you know, regardless of you know his state of mind, there's no logical reason why you shouldn't be in talks of trying to protect your assets and somebody that can help you win football games, right? If you're in the business of that, I hope that you are. That you're in the business of trying to win football games. That's what I'm thinking. That's where that's we're all about, right? Winning football games, making money, winning football games. I thought that's what the mode of the NFL was, but you know, I could be wrong in Ursay's case. I don't know. You know, he's had a history of uh, you know, some you know bad dealings with some chemicals in the in his past. So maybe that's affecting his mental state. I don't know. You know, but whatever. I you know I'm not selling his recovery and his things of that nature. But yet again, he's he's not thinking like a normal, logical, traditional man at this point. And yet again, he's thinking that he's above everybody and everybody just works for him and they just supposed to capitulate to what he wants, you know? So then going back to this John and Taylor situation in, in its entirety, you know, so now when we at a crossroads and I, and basically, and I don't know what was said in this meeting, but it clearly wasn't anything prosperous where it really became public. The moment he left the meeting that he wanted to be traded. Clearly, you didn't make me feel any type of way about me. You me you wanted me around the past this year, or wanted to play this franchise and no security game with me like they a lot of people are doing with the with these running backs these days. So I request a trade, and then you basically try to play hardball with me, saying that you're gonna you're gonna sit there and and, and run the ball and do what I tell you. <laughs> you have to understand something when it comes down to that type of mentality, right? It's not just hurtful to Jonathan Taylor; it's hurting your brand and your ability to retain players and get players in the future. Because everybody is this is all public. I'm talking about it publicly, so and every NFL player is listening to this and he's seeing this. And they're saying, if he act like that to his top guy, what is he going to act like to anybody else that's below him? He's going to act the same way or worse. So why would I want to play with this guy? Why would I want to do that? Then you get into the idea of them playing these, you know, uh, negative uh, smear campaign tactics where you bring up my recent injury history, you know, to, you know, to be honest. I'm injured because you, I was the only person you could rely on. So you were running me into the dirt, literally, and I got hurt. 
you know, but you want to use that as leverage so you don't have to pay me. Again, dirty pool. Then you also want to take character shots saying I'm being difficult and I don't want to work with you and do what I'm what I agreed to do from by signing my contract three years ago. Uh, and said, I don't want to come to work, which paints a negative image on the player, which, you know, kind of sends a smoke signal to other owners or, you know, in the league saying maybe he is the problem. You know, maybe I should believe the owner versus the player, which happens a lot. Again, poking holes in their image to skid other teams off is another shady game that people play. And it's, it's it, that needs to cease. You know, again, and then talking about them really getting to the idea of not wanting to pay him at all and not even coming to this table with let's talk about it. I mean, most people in good faith at least want to talk about it. Now, we are far apart in the money you want and money I can offer because of whatever the case. I, 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 that's one thing. But you don't even want to come to the table to talk about it. Like, I'm not off. He basically said unequivocally, I'm not offering him a contract extension right now. Not doing it. On my last year. There's no security pass this year. Like, he plays this year out. He's a free agent. And they franchise tag him or they don't. He has no, there's no long-term talks about in, in about where he's going to be uh, financially in, in conversation to playing a very grueling game in a very grueling position that is running back. Insanity. It really is insanity. You know, just to paint a picture, I mean, I saw a tweet earlier where Ursay was saying that he was going to fund the uh, ability to transport an orca across the country because it was an endangered species. He said, well, I got the money. I can do it, so I'm going to do it. Whew. Wow. <laughs> it's just wild. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they need to have a psychiatric evaluation for people that own NFL teams. Maybe they do. Because the way he's operating, it, that's it's not a good look. It's not a good look. I, I, I don't know what to say. Like I said, Billy Anthropist and Indiana Colts owner Jim Bursay is backing a $20 million plan to re- release an orca from enclosure in Miami and release it to the Bay Area near Seattle. He would want to transport it by plane to from across the country. <laughs> but you don't have money to pay Jonathan Taylor, right? You're just going to give up $20 million and Jonathan Taylor can't get a dime, right? Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. But yet again, very peculiar behavior. But I will say this, and this is strictly on Jonathan Taylor's behalf. I admire what he's doing because he, he knows he's a top five running back in the league. He knows that he has extreme value in this league and what he brings to the team. We're talking not potentially signing a, a, a singles hitter in baseball terms. We're talking about a home run hitter, a, a Aaron Judge type level hitter who's going to give you 60 home runs a year. You know, that type of thing. He's going to give you a thousand plus yards and 500 yards receiving and, and, and double digit touchdowns every single year that he's healthy. And you're playing 17 games now, so he's going to give you that much more. He is a game changer and he is literally that one player that you say that if I was on the cusp of winning a Super Bowl and I got him, that puts me over the top. And he understands that. He knows his worth. And he's also reading the room properly because he realizes that everybody else is in his caliber and his worth level is seeing, he's seeing that they are going through these trials and tribulations with their, with their, with their leadership. So they are, he's getting ahead of the game, essentially saying that I'm not trying to go through the same thing going through getting tagged like Saquon and Josh Jacobs have. I'm not trying to deal with all that. So let's get ahead of it and let's see what's on the table. If nothing's on the table, you need to trade me. And give me somewhere where I know they would value me and appreciate me and resign me long term because they understand what I bring to the table. Getting ahead of it. Getting ahead of it. Because like I said, he has a limited window opportunity to, to earn at 24 years old and at the peak of his game. He really does. So what I want people to understand and realize, you know, what John the Teller is and what he's doing is changing the narrative of the level of acceptance people are, are in right now. 
you know, people saying, you know, getting to the league, especially as rookies, so I'm I'm happy to be in the league. I made it. They're paying me millions of dollars, you know. But yeah, that's the that's as a projection to see who you are or what you're going to be as a pro. But when you've made your mark as a pro, like John Teller has, the conversation changes. Now I'm no longer should be grateful and glad. I should be a situation. I should be in a situation where I should be paid based upon my production level, and that's where he lands. And understand that people need to get into the mindset of the fact that he, and just like everybody else, needs to say that I need to be paid based upon what I've done and what my what's on my resume. Because you use my resume as a negative when you don't want to pay me, so use it for when you need to pay me. Because the numbers he's put up in the, in the three years that he's played in the games he's played is phenomenal. One of the top, you know, tops in the league. But he should be paid accordingly. So, like I said, the level of acceptance that people have have, have accepted from leadership in this league needs to cease. Understand this. And I said this before on, on Tuesday, and I'm saying it again if you didn't watch the show. Stop allowing people to disrespect you because they pay you. I'm saying it again. Stop letting people disrespect you because they pay you. Stop letting them treat you in your own kind of way. Stop, trying to stop letting them just do and say whatever they want to you and use you however they want to use you based upon the fact that they pay you a dollar or two. That's a stop. We are human beings at the end of the day. We're not, we're not commodities. We're not animals. We're not things that you use in, in machines and just use and throw away. You're a, pu- you're a purebred human being and you should be treated accordingly in that manner. So, that should be a, a a signal, a smoke signal to everybody in the league that says you should be paid and treated like a human being and a person that's valuable to what being what a billion dollar organization is like the NFL in this particular case. There's a particular case. So understand that this as a narrative needs to stop. Point bank period. But getting into the overall situation when it comes down to each running back. I'm not going to just talk about Jonathan Taylor the whole entire time. I'm going to get into what Saquon Barkley went through. You know, he was franchise tag. You know, he didn't report to camp right away because you don't have to. If you don't sign a tag, you're not a you're you're not a under contract, so you're not being penalized. So, you know, he went through, you know, ups and downs, ebbs and flows, and understanding just much like Jonathan Taylor is to the Colts, he is to the Giants. He is their best offensive player, and he's been that way since he's been there. So again, why are we having trepidation about paying him? I don't get it. You pay Daniel Jones money, who is a mid to th- lower tier quarterback in my eyes. And he's shown you that in the time he's been there. But Saquon has been nothing but productive and on the field and been highly utilized and injured off injury because of it. And you don't want to pay him. You have issues with paying him. Now, I understand that, you know, people have angst because contracts that you give out to running backs sometimes don't uh, work out after the second or third year of it. But again, that's for anybody. Anybody can go through that. It's not just running backs. Not just running backs. And I'm going to get into the idea of how you can change certain things in a second about how the running backs get longevity and the idea of these contracts don't seem as, you know, you're not getting the same ROI on the back end of it as you were in the front end. Is is ways you can alleviate and mitigate that. But we'll get into that in a second. But Saquon's issue was another thing. Like, he went through all year above the idea and all summer, all off season about, you know, him not want to play on a tag and him want a long-term deal. Couldn't get any headway with, uh, with, uh, what the giants were offering him. Right. They basically were offering him tag, not much else. And, um, he looked at it from, um, I guess you can say a logical perspective as well as, a um, a moving the needle perspective. 
you know, because at one point he was on a stance that he could say that, you know, he could sit out and and say, F my team and all the things and, you know, F the organization and just sit out until you really pay me what my value is, you know, but he kind of went into the situation where he kind of say, well, I may not get everything I want, but I'm going to help myself and help move the needle forward for everybody else behind me, right? Which I commend. You know, he went in, got some incentives, up to $2 million extra in the sign-up bonus, 909K in incentives, and his max earning salary could be $11 million, up to two to $13 million based upon his sign-up bonus. So he got a little extra money in this, in, this, in this situation, and it's fully guaranteed. Whether he gets hurt or not, it's fully guaranteed. $12 million, $10 million in the bank, excuse me, $12 million to bank it with the option to make it maybe 11, between 13, 11, 12 and a half, $13 million, depending on if he plays the whole season to make these uh, incentive marks. But again, move the needle by getting those incentives, right? Same kind of same thing with Austin Equity about getting incentives and reworking his deal again. And this could be a blueprint for what Josh Jacobs can do and, uh, and try to protect themselves and be uh, for their team and be productive, but still, you know, garnering a certain level of salary that, that you can hold and, 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 uh, and, you know, I guess you can say push, you know, put in, um, to your, you know, savings ability to have, um, you know, to basically hold on to your earning potential going forward. You won't be beholden to a long-term deal that you're not comfortable with. I guess that's what I'm driving at. You know, it's, you know, 11, $12 million that you can hold is fully guaranteed coming to you. It's not a long-term deal, but it's, it's something, right? It's something, right? So and then I get where he's where he's at with it. You know, he doesn't want to disappoint his team. He feel like his team can go places. And his team needs him, but he needs to be paid. And he's still not at a, at a long-term level, but you know, you still can guarantee yourself, you know, anywhere between 10 to 12 million dollars. Um, and hopefully, you know, if they don't run you completely and utterly into the ground, you could uh, find yourself in a better situation come uh, next offseason and get a long-term deal. So that was his situation. Then you get to Josh Jacobs, who hasn't signed his franchise tender yet, and uh, he left Vegas um, uh, a week ago. And uh, rumors are swirling that he might come back by the end of the week and talk to the Raiders again. I um, also saw Josh McDaniels talking about how they their priority is to bring him in um, and try to get a deal done. Now, what I would do is use Saquon's baseline because he's under the franchise tag. And again, the franchise tag is fully guaranteed, but again, there's no other sentence besides your base salary, so that's all you get. So I would ask for incentives, and I would also ask for a little extra caveat to say that you can't franchise tag me again. That's the only franchise tag you don't get. I did no franchise tag clause in this particular contract going forward. So there's, there is no tag at the end of the season again, and you have to either pay me or let me walk for, for free. So that's what I would do in this situation because let's be honest. Looking at Jonathan Taylor, looking at Josh Jacobs, and looking at Saquon Barkley, they all are game-changing running backs. And those teams absolutely positively need them, especially based upon their quarterback situation, to be productive and be in house for them. Because if they're not, it's a whole different ball game, whole different ball game. And you, your wins and losses will be vastly affected by those not being in, in camp. Again, this leading rusher last year, 94, 94 first downs, ninety missed tackles. I mean, the, the dude was a, a, just a complete and utter stud last year. And if you can be the top end producing back and still can't get paid, that says a lot. Going back to the, all the points I laid out about Jonathan Taylor, how, how people are being treated. Don't accept it, but not accept it and get exactly what you're worth and move the needle forward, keep moving it forward. So when you get your deal done, Josh, 
that could be a blueprint for what John Tetter can utilize in order to get his new deal or get traded finally. So, and then you finally talking about Joe Mixon and he flat out just took a pay cut, you know, in, in the realm of about $10 million he was due. Uh, I think he, he, I think he took a $10 million pay cut. You know, he was due, his cap number was about $12 million. You know, he was due $10 million this season, 12, and his cap number was 12. Um, his, he freed up about four to $5 million per year, uh, which they turned right around and gave to Trey Hendrickson in, in a new deal that signed him in the, as the edge rusher for, longer, for a longer term. It's a dirty game. <laughs> it's a dirty game. It really is. So, big to take a pay cut to stay with the Bengals, or they were going to cut him flat out. And then they give they turn around and give the money that he saved them and give it to Trey Henderson. Whew, I tell you, man, oh man. You know, and like I said, this all probably Dalvin Cook's still hanging out there. They saw probably them to get on a Zoom call to talk about uh what they can do. Um, and I'm not sure what came out of that, you know, meeting. It's a little something a little lot something leaked that I'll talk about in a second that would that could have been a solution uh to this problem. But you know, only thing I really knock about this is that they shouldn't let anything out that they had to happen in a meeting. It should have been secret and should have been all in-house and just left it amongst yourselves and don't give them any inclination of what you tend to do to help correct the market. You know, and then if I get into also the Eckler situation, you know, he wanted a new deal. The charges weren't able to or willing to pay him the amount of money he was asking for on top of the fact that he 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 actually decided to seek a trade and went out there in the market and, and, and poached team to see who would pay him, and nobody would. So he had to come back and rework his deal and get some incentives and add about $2 million in incentives to his deal, which are highly attainable marks. So he'll get paid, bumped up to about 8 9 maybe $10 million at the end of his deal, which, you know, he was happy enough because he wants to be in L.A. He's happy enough to, to accept for the one year. But again, he's going to be in the same boat as, as Saquon, Josh, and... uh. Jonathan and uh, Saquon at the end of this, and they're all going to be free agents. So I say all that to say, what do we do about this situation, right? What do we do? You know, so again, you know, just to, just and, and let's just paint a real quick picture. And this is all the listing of the free agency deals that were given out in this particular offseason cycle, right? The highest number was $6.2 million annually, and that went to Miles Sanders. Carolina, and that's because they had it because they got a rookie quarterback. David Montgomery got six million. Jamal Williams got four million. Samaj P. Ryan got three million. Alexander Madison reworked his deal on getting three point five as a starting running back. Jeff Wilson getting three. Raheem Mostert getting two. Justice Hill getting two point two. Travis Homer two a million. Mike Boone million five. Devin Singletary two point seven. And the list goes on. I mean, you got guys making pennies. They were productive for their teams. I mean, Rashad Penny making one point three million dollars for the Eagles this year. It's crazy. It is crazy. It's crazy for the amount of the low numbers that these guys are hitting. You got, again, you got second and third wide receivers in the league making bigger money than this. And then not, not as nearly as productive as some of these guys on these lists, especially the top end guys. So, like I said, you know, I'm not going to browbeat the situation and not offer any solutions, right? So, because this is what this video is about, the solution to the running back market in the NFL. So, when we talk about a solution-based uh, model here, I think there's a few things that you can adjust to this particular uh, I- issue that could be mutually beneficial. And I'm going to say it this way. I think that first and foremost, because there is a smaller window on any other, on this position than any other from a running back perspective, it's a smaller window to earn. I think that everybody that gets a deal as a, as a, as a rookie or a second contract should have fully guaranteed contracts. I'm in the most brutal position, the most violent position in the entire NFL. 
I, you should get fully guaranteed deals in this situation and have my money guaranteed because uh, it's not if I'm going to get hurt, it's probably when. So I, I need fully guaranteed contracts year, on a year-to-year basis. Like every year I need my contract fully guaranteed in that short window that you're giving me. The four years you give me as a rookie or the two to three to four-year deal that you give me as a, as a veteran. Fully guaranteed deals. So uh, the key to protect me from injury and protect my salary, you know, no matter how, you know, it's structured and how I'm utilized. Also, I will actually add some guaranteed uses language in the contracts. I would clearly define my my and use my leverage in my contract to say that I'm going to be used in a particular manner in the preseason and practice, especially is where I'm not completely utterly overworked in the preseason and I ultimately get hurt in the preseason and I don't even play in the regular season. I think that should happen uh, in, in, in the way they work contracts and their language in the contracts going forward. I think that should happen. Also think they should eliminate the franchise tag. And I think for the contract wise for now and ultimately in the CBA, I think that going forward, the, the, the contract that these running backs sign rookie and or veteran should, should eliminate the franchise tag from being a possibility because my window to earn is smaller. So playing a franchise tag game and just extending it. And, and then at the end of that process, I'm no longer viable in the league because I'm 26, 27, 20 years old, depending on when you came into the league. I think they need to eliminate that in the contract now and in the CBA when that comes to begin, eliminate it all together. Also, I think for running backs, I think they did eliminate the eligibility rule. I think they bumped that up to a year earlier. Instead of being three years uh, in college before you can come out, it should be two. Because again, you're shaving off. I'm having to fully go to college for three years before I can come out. That's small. That's shrinking my earning potential. If you're ready, it is an option. You don't have to do it. But it should be eligible. If you're ready at, at year two, you should be able to come out and, and, and get drafted a year earlier because of based upon your earning potential. So I think they should modify the NCAA rule to allow running backs, especially to come out if you're ready. You're, you're, you have that option. You don't have to do it. You have an option to come out a year earlier. Also, I think they should have use, usage language, con, uh, language in the contract to say that I, especially in your contract years, to say that there should be caps on the amount of attempts and passes I get per year based upon, uh, what's happening uh, with the trend is when I'm running the football or catching the ball out of the backfield in my first two to three years. You know, if I'm in a contract year, I think that you should put a cap on my ability to be used to not burn me out and, or allow for me to get injured or being more susceptible to injury to put me in a bad spot to get paid at the end of my contract. So that's what, that's just what Jonathan Taylor is in. I really feel like that he should, especially if he if he does play with the Colts, which I don't recommend. If he does play with the Colts, I think he should be on a pitch count because he's going to ultimately, if he's used in the matter, I think they might use him with the, with a rookie quarterback. He's going to get burned to the ground, and and people are going to look at him like he's a used mule and he's not worthy of a long term big time deal. So that's a problem, and I think that should be, especially when I think there should be use cast period. Watch your whole entire contract, but especially on that last year of your contract to say that you should not be used over a certain level in practice and or in the game to allow, especially if you're drafting two and three running backs behind me, utilize the running back by committee more so in my contract year to, to not hurt my earning potential. Then I also think it should be tier salaries. I think that a top five running back in, at your position should be paid a certain grade. Six to ten should be paid in a different grade. Middle tier should be paid a different grade, and rookies should have their their rookie deals done. 
And I think that that should be uh, a definite, uh, I guess you can say, added feature to how they structure deals to allow for people that are game changers, like people I underscored earlier, which would allow for them to be paid at the rate that they should be paid. And if you're at a, at a rate below them or the talent level below them, you should be paid accordingly. But it should be tiers based upon the salary rankings and on a position rankings, I should say. If you're a top five running back in the league, you should be paid at the highest level. Six to 10, lower than that. Middle tier, lower than that. Now, I'm not saying drastically lower in any facet, but slightly lower based upon production. I think that'll help the situation as well. Overall, like I said, NFL, the end game is this. The NFL is a business model, and they try to save money wherever they can and maximize profits. That is the overall overarching issue in this whole thing, How we as we wrap a bowl in this whole situation. They, that's where they are. You know, devaluing running back is the latest move in this where quarterbacks, wide receivers, and edge rushers are, the, are salaries are on the rise. Understand that as well. Running backs need to be steadfast as the top tier guys will be missed very soon, is what I underscored earlier. I promise you that Saquon, Josh, Jonathan, Austin will not... Uh, be, not being available is going to drastically hurt your team. Your team chances to win games, you know. So, get as much as you can, guarantee money wise. This year is what is what they should be looking for, you know, in front of remaining outliers, Jonathan Taylor, Josh Jacobs, whoever's left. Get as much guarantee money as you can this year, and and protect your earning potential for the future. And again, teams don't realize this now because we're in the preseason. But once the, those losses start to pile up, and you realize guys like Josh Jacobs are not in the house, so Jonathan Taylor's holding out. You're gonna realize that those losses start to pile, and they that that tune gonna change. You know, you gonna start getting pressure from the media, the the people above you, the shareholders, coaches. They're all gonna be like, "Look, we got to do something. We need this guy, and he if he's not here, we don't have a chance to be competitive." You know, this is all fun and games when you're not playing when you're not playing games. You know, NFL games, but when you start to those wins and losses matter, and you realize that if I had this guy and he was in the house and he was happy. We would be winning ball games, and if and that's going to change the narrative too, you know. But you got to get there. But like I said, prime example is this: if Saquon Barkley is not available, the Giants are below five hundred team, in my opinion. The Raiders without Josh Jacobs, they're drafting the top five in the draft. Colts without John the Taylor are drafting the top ten of the draft, and the Chargers without Austin Eckler is not a playoff team. <laughs> and that's what it all boils down to. That's what it all boils down to. So you got to figure it out and figure it out in short order. And I hope these solutions, you know, add to the ability to come to some type of middle ground and mediate the situation and people can get paid fairly and you can get your guys to be productive in your organizations. But until then, you always, you'll have these, these, these contentious moments and, and guys sitting on the sideline and then you have, you have injuries to two and three backs in your organization who aren't to the caliber of the guy you should have paid. And then you got to kowtow and beg them to come back and, you know, for, for whatever you can pay them. And then it might be too late. So, it needs to be fixed. It needs to be fixed now. So hopefully this helps out. Hope everybody liked this video. Like I said, like, comment, subscribe if you liked it. And I said, we'll be back next week with another video. I'm going to do another series next week about top 10 defenses. I'm going to get into, it's going to have some fantasy implications as well. So look out for that. I'm going to break down the top 10 defenses, according to my opinion, in the NFL going into the 2023 season. And we'll, and yeah, give me guys feedback on how y'all feel about that. So until next week, uh, we'll be back with another video on Thursday, 11 a.m. In the meantime, between time, I'm your man, Coach Defense. Until next week, step up and lock it down.